Welcome to a Southern Farming Systems podcast. I'm Michelle McClure, hosting Cam Nicholson from Nick on Raw at the SFS 2022 Results Morning. Cam will be discussing decision making and using a decision matrix to decide when should I apply the greatest percentage of total nitrogen to gain the best return for cereals. Over to you, Cam. Helping people make what I call good decisions. Okay, and by good decisions, they're considered decisions where they're well informed. So what I want to do is try and pull together what you've heard. I've been sitting at the back of the room and I've heard lots of stuff. And my mind's going like this, trying to say, well, on this side we should do this, on this side we should do this. How the hell do you pull all that together and make a good decision? Where from what I'm recognising, it's paddock specific. What was the previous crop in that paddock? You know, is that one going to get waterlogged? You know, um, what sort of crop am I going to start with? All of those things have got to come together. So that's a really complex thing to do. What I want to do is, as well as give you something which is related directly to this nitrogen side of things, I also want to step you through a process. Because I reckon if you can get your heads around the process, you'll be able to apply it to lots of other decisions. And this is my real interest, is that I reckon if we can make better decisions, more informed decisions, we'll be more profitable, more resilient in our businesses. Okay? Nitrogen just happens to be the one that I'm going to try and pull together today. Okay, I want to start just with a few very quick things around decision making. And the decision you've got to make around nitrogen, I would call a complex decision. The reason why it's a complex decision is there's lots of things to weigh up. Complex decisions are influenced by three factors. Some people will have seen this before, those that haven't. I talk about the head, heart and gut of decision making. I reckon 90% of what you've heard today is about the head. It's about the facts, the results, that you know, you get this much yield if you do X or Y. But I can tell you, you make this decision, if your growers making this decision, they won't just use the head. They'll use two other influences as well. One that I call the heart, which is around your values and your preferences. So some people just have a preference not to spend a lot of money on nitrogen. That'll just be their preference. Okay? That's got to be factored into the decision that people are going to make. And the other one is your gut. I reckon everybody's heard of gut instinct, gut feel. You know, when you make a decision that doesn't sit quite right, it's your gut talking to you. That's because you've got more nerve endings in your gut than you've got in your brain. Okay, so when things feel uncomfortable and feel anxious, it's because it's your gut talking to you. Something not quite right there. Your gut's built by your past experience, and your gut's built by intuition. And in a lot of cases here, your risk is coming from your past experience. If we're talking about something that's got a pretty high price in input, that's got a pretty high price at the moment, and quite volatile. So who knows, as Wes was saying, who knows where that rare price is going to be in three or four months' time. So you're actually taking on a fair bit of risk in making this decision as well. It's not going to be your head that's going to inform that, it's going to be your gut. Okay? Just putting it out there because of those three factors do have an influence in the decision we've got to make. So I think you're missing something if all you want to do is just try and stick to the numbers. Because I don't reckon you'll make the best decision if that's all you do. Second one, and I've touched on this around the risk bit of it. Understanding the risk around that decision is critical. This is much riskier what we're confronting at the moment than what might have been two years ago, simply because of the input prices are hitting on it. Risk by definition is likely to be consequence. We've got to make decisions now 
that will know the payoff Christmas time or just before. You've got to roll the dice. And you roll the dice and you're not quite sure where that's going to end up, but you've got to make a call now. Wouldn't it be wonderful if you could make a call now and you knew the outcome in eight months' time? It doesn't work that way. So understanding what risk you're playing with is an important part of making this decision and that's where your gut becomes important in that. But importantly, in any decision or any factor that you're considering, there will be a point where it tips over and you start to think differently. You know, if you read this $400 a tonne, I might think differently about using it, where I use it, to if it's $800 a tonne, or if it's $1,400 a tonne. There will be a point in your mind where you say, when it gets to that, I'll think differently. Okay? So part of our decision making actually has to reflect and capture that that idea that things tip over. But that tip over point's personal, okay, because risk is personal. So of all the people sitting in the room here, I don't reckon any two of you would have exactly the same risk profile. Because of the circumstances, because of past experience, there's a whole lot of things. Because of your temperament, your personality, you'll have a different risk profile. Okay? So it's important to recognise that what I put up here may not suit you, may not fit you perfectly, and that's fine to change it. But just to give you an idea on that, let's think of this as an example. Would you put nitrogen on a cereal crop at the start of stem elongation, so GS31, if the cost was 150 bucks a hectare for putting that nitrogen on, and there was a 90% chance of winning water logging? Who'd have a crack at that? Stick your hand up. Um, what if there was a 75% chance of water level? Who'd have a crack? Yeah, a few people would, three or four. 50% chance? Yeah, a few more. If they were rusted on once, 10% chance. Okay? You get more people out there. Message out of that is people jump or change their decision based on different circumstances. In fact, that's a risk statement. 150 bucks a hectare and a 90% chance. 90% is the likelihood. The consequence of it, which is the other factor of risk, component of risk, is the amount of money you're playing with. 150 bucks. So as soon as we can start to understand what is the level of risk we're playing with, our decisions get better. Because we actually understand those odds. And I'll talk a little about where you get those odds from later on. Third one before I jump into the nitrogen one. In all these decisions, and this nitrogen one is no different, there are multiple things to weigh up. It's so easy if we only have to consider one thing. Just consider the price of urea, nothing else matters. But we know that's not the case. We know that the price of the crop you grow is going to have an influence on that decision of how much nitrogen you might use. There will be a lot of things that you've got to weigh up. Because in complex decisions, you make more balance. Okay, where you weigh up the pros and cons. What we've got to be able to do is put so many things on the pro side, so many things on the con side, and say, on balance, which, which way should we jump? And as long as you can weigh that up and weigh that up well, then you can make a good decision. Okay, on the basis of it. You may not work out to be the right decision when you get to the end of the year. You might look back and say, geez, I should have done this and not that. But at the point in time you've got to make that call, You've considered that and you've weighed up that decision. 
And the final thing I'll say on this one is that not all of those factors that we've got to weigh out are of equal importance. Some have got more value than others. Doesn't mean the ones that are lower value we just forget about. It just means in the weighting, the balance, if you like, between these pros and cons, that we've got to be able to assess each of those and give them some sort of a value or a weighting. Okay? So, how do you bring all this together? Okay, that's the theory, and I'll tell you what, I've spent probably 15 years on this sort of stuff, looking at decision making and, and how people make decisions and what's important in it. That's my summary of it. I reckon if you can understand each other in those three and start applying those three, you'll be better off. But how do you bring all that together and actually making a decision? Your head, heart, and gut, the risk hit of it, those multiple factors, and the last one I'll put in here is balancing timeliness against time to think. Anybody heard of this fellow Daniel Cannon? Yeah, a few people have. Okay. He's a professor at Princeton University in the US. He won a Nobel Prize for his work on this stuff. One of his best books is this thing, this book called Thinking Fast and Slow. In a nutshell, he said the biggest mistake we make in complex decisions is we make them too quickly. We think we know and we make a call. And he said, if you could slow down, even just for half an hour, slow down for half an hour and consider in more detail, you'll make a better decision. Okay? So, how do we combine those three plus that little bit of slowing down time? I'm going to show you a process. Some people may have seen it, it's called a decision matrix. The Marcus students are going to get a handful <laughs> of this over the year because we'll return to this three or four times because we want you as students to be able to walk away understanding this process so that you can apply for a whole lot of things. I first learned this from this fellow here, Barry Munch, farmer in South Australia, also a, a consultant in farms at Port Germain. Saw this about 10 years ago from Barry and he started applying this, this type of a process. Barry is a very clever farmer and a very profitable and very good farmer. He was one of the first people I'd seen who actually recognised getting my decision making better was so important, it wasn't just turning up to one of these events and finding out which herbicide was a better one to spray or how much I should inoculate or sow my seeds at. He said being able to put all this together was the most important thing you could do in his business. Okay, so what is a decision matrix? Talk about an eight-step process. Um, I'll jump around a little bit in this eight-step process, but it's relatively quick and once you get the hang of it, it's pretty easy to do. It does take a little bit of practice. First couple of times will be a bit frustrating, but after that you'll get the hang of it. I'm going to step you through one of these related to the nitrogen stuff we've done this morning. In particular, what we've focused on here, and I've used the other experts that spoke this morning to help you pull this together. So if you've got questions on some of the detail in it, ask the experts, don't ask me, because I'm not a proper nitrogen guy, I'm just someone who's able to pull this stuff together. So, the decision that we settled on was when should I apply the greatest percentage of my nitrogen to gain the best returns for the cereal that I'm planting? So it's a cereal crop we're thinking about. Okay, we're going into a cereal crop and saying what's the timing of that for that first upfront bits of nitrogen? And there are three decision points that we're looking at here. Do I apply the majority of that nitrogen at sowing, at tillery, or at GS31? So stemming elongation. And I reckon you've heard a lot of stuff here this morning, particularly from John, but also from, as you could extrapolate from stuff that Grace um, had talked about as well, and Audrey and um, Ashley had talked about. 
about what that time you might be under what sets of circumstances. Okay. So what we're going to do is put a matrix together to say, should I apply the greatest amount of nitrogen at sowing, at tillering, or at GSD1? And this will be a paddock by paddock. You'll walk into a paddock and because of the different set of circumstances, you might make a different form on this. So one paddock will be different than the other side of the fence, simply because of what's happened and gone on in the past. There is also a step in this decision matrix I take people through, which is defining when that decision needs to be made. I've done a lot of these where they come up, they're recurring, so every year you've got to make the same decision. Okay, so quite often I've got a bit of time, a time on it as well. First critical thing once we've defined our decision is to list what are the major considerations or what I call the critical factors that should influence this decision. So if we're thinking of making a call which of these three times got most of them in out? What do you reckon is one of the major things we should consider? Sing it out. From what you heard this morning, what should you consider? Sorry? Deep end tests. Deep end tests. Okay, how much end you've got to start with? Tick. Right, what else? Tell us a bit more. I'll just make sure you get the product. Okay. Okay. So where you get ready access to the product? Yeah. Anything else? Here's another one. Maybe the cost. Cost. Tell us a bit more, George. Cost of what? The urea to the grain price. To the grain price. Okay. So remember that ratio John talked about. Okay. Should be a critical thing. That's what he suggested. Okay. Let's see how it falls out. Putting this team together, these were the five that they suggested that we should think about. First one, what's the paddock crop history? Hopefully from you know, people like James, people saying if it's had a leaf-in crop or something that's got high end in it, think differently to something that might have been a few years of cereal that may have taken a hell of a lot of that nitrogen out. Think about things that commodity price to nitrogen price, exactly what George said, previous factor. Previous nitrogen manager, another one. Waterlogging potential. Remember there was some reference to this waterlogging potential and some people putting it on early then the crop gets really waterlogged and you spend most of your money up front rather than waiting until later on. So that can be a consideration. And the last one is the crop being grown. Obviously what nitrogen requirement is, is um, needed for that crop. Now, these were the five that were suggested by those experts. Okay? People who were up here and spoke to you beforehand. You may look at that and go, I reckon there's another one in there. Okay? You add the other one in. Okay? From a process point of view, we're looking at what do we need to list as our critical factors do you think need to be considered. For some people who go, nah, that doesn't matter. So you just cross it out. Okay? So I'm going to give you in the end is a whole thing of this made up. Okay? You might look at it and go, nah, I want to do a few things differently. That's fine. This is an example. Take-home message really is the process we use. So everybody clear on that? First thing you do is list what you reckon are the critical factors. Second one, and I talked about this idea about these tipping points, at what point would I think differently about my response? So if you were thinking about your crop paddock history, and that's a decision we've got to make, do we make it here, here, or here to put most of our nitrogen out? The team that I worked with said you break that up into three. So the tipping points would be if I expected, I had low expected end, in other words, less than 50 kilos of residual end, from that 0 to 30 dB test, and that's probably because it's had some high yielding cereals in the years before. 
contrast it at the other end and say what would be the opposite to that would be you'd expect um, high NMEs greater than 100 kilos from the previous crop. So it's either bean or it's coming out of a high legume pasture or whatever it might be. So what we do is top and tail it. The most and least favourable decision. So what would drive you to say, I could put some on sowing, is if one of the considerations would be I don't have much in there to start with. Would favour you more to say, I'll go towards this um, nitrogen and put some nitrogen in the soil. What would be the least favourable outcome for that one is if I've got heaps of them up front. So if there's heaps of them sitting there, why would I go and put a heap of them on the soil? So that would be my least favourable. Could people sort of follow how that works? I call it top and tail, and the discipline is you put that one first and that one last. You know? Best of worst. And then there may be some other comments in between, so we put a moderate one in there between 50 and greater than 100, is if it falls into the 1500 range. We do that for each of the critical factors that you identify. So, we end up at the end of the day with something like this. So this is what I'll hand out to you. Okay, so we don't need all the detail in it, but I'll just highlight a few of them. So the one that George spoke about there about that ratio of commodity price to nitrogen price, which is what John was talking about. You know how that's changed from the wheat John four to one to nine to one now or something. Okay, so there's been some changes in there. So you'd be looking at those sort of things: uh, water logging, crop being grown. You know, water logging potential might be high because there's soil moisture and seasonal forecast together. Creates a high chance of water level. So I'm saying, no, if the seagull forecast is going to be blown wet, you look at the profile and you're 90% full down there with sun. Your chances of water level are going to be pretty high. That probably should go on the negative side of the balance of where you put your nitrogen on. Alright, the third last step is to assign scores to it. Now, the reason why we assign scores is remember I said they're critical factors, but some are more important than others. We somehow have to get that relative importance of those critical factors. So the way we do this is put another column down here and my suggestion always is for each of these critical factors pick the lowest one and give it a score of zero. Okay, so when we've got to put weightings on we put always the lowest score of zero. Then we assign scores to the most favourable and in this case here you can rank them if you want to first. So of those five, I sometimes suggest to people like that we've listed five of them and we've split them up, which of those five would you say is the most important? So we pop that one up top and then we put it in order. Then we start putting some numbers on it. So it's said here that we put a, a, a value on that or a rating on that 10. So in other words, our crop paddock history is the most important of those five critical factors then to consider. And these other ones just change relative to that importance in our mind. Remember I said the head, heart and gut influences these decisions? I can tell you in the score and this is where they'll come up. Your past experience, information that you've learnt, other people who know stuff, the level of risk you want to take on, will alter those different numbers. But from that group, that's what we settle on, is those scores. And then after that, you're able to then put, um, sorry, some numbers in the middle as well, and I'll show you those scores in a, in a tick. Okay. Well, you follow where we got to? Okay. Is that a question, John, or just a scratch of the forehead? <laughs> okay. They were the three decisions that we said we were thinking about. Do we do it at sowing, at tilling, or at GS31? So, 
Where we get to now making a decision on this is your add up your maximum score. So if I go back to here, if I have 10 plus 8 plus 8 plus 7 plus 4, that gets me 37. So if I everything was um, answered in the affirmative, I get a score of 37. And then we apply some preliminary splits to that maximum score. So in this case here, there is a little bit of a trick, and I haven't got the time to go into it, but there's some information on this. If we scored and we went into a paddy greater than 28, we suggest we'd start putting nitrogen on, most of nitrogen on in this early phase at some. If we scored between 21 and 28, we'd be thinking about doing it at early tillin or in that tillin stage. And if it was less than 21, we'd go to stem wait for stem elongation to look at most of it out. Okay. Now, does it work or not? That sounds pretty logical, it doesn't work or not. So I'll do a thing in the final just to tie this off for scenario testing. And the best way I reckon you can do this is to think of some historic examples where you know the circumstances and you know the outcome. Because this decision matrix has to support what you reckon was the right decision in hindsight. So if you went through something like this, it's all on TV, and I remember 2020 and I stuck that up because I did such and such and that wasn't right. This matrix should be helping you to say, no, no, you should have done something else. If it doesn't do that, you haven't quite got the scores or the numbers right. Or it will confirm, I did such and such, gee, that was a good decision to make in hindsight because I know the outcome of it. Does the decision matrix drive you to that same point that you, you already made that decision on? So using history can be really, really valuable in starting to refine this and get this right. So I've asked Grace to give us a couple of examples here of some scenario testing and just how well the matrix supports that. So Grace, if you could just talk us through, first of all, the 2021 wheat. So this is using the SFS variety trials for the last couple of years. Uh, with our paddock history that Ash touched on, we gave a score of moderate expected end. The commodity price of the, the start of 2021 was about average. Uh, previous nitrogen management, we gave it a three based on previous uh, protein yields for that day. Uh, at the start, uh, we had a fairly high chance of waterlogging uh, and we were growing yeah, wheat, which the feed wheat doesn't have as much of a link um, between the uh, grain protein levels uh, and the uh, requirements. That's how we got to the score of 19, which would indicate our major application at GS31. And from Ash's talk, that's, that result ended up working out really well. Thank you. And our 2020? So in 2020, uh, the bay that the wheat was grown in uh, had uh, far lower expected end, so it got a higher score. Uh, the commodity pricing was even lower than what we've seen, so looking back it's probably uh, more heavily weighted lower, um, but if we were making the same score at the start of last year where we don't know how high prices are going to get, that may be different. Uh, previous nitrogen management, uh, the protein levels were quite low for that bay on previous um, 
proteins. Uh, there was a lower waterlogging potential, and again, same uh, crop being grown. That gave us 23, um, and the results from that, which you can see in the 2020 results book, um, indicated that uh, an application of tillering was ideal, and that's what worked out. Thanks, Rose. So two examples there which helped you test and refine that. So if any of that didn't make sense, then there's something wrong with your numbers or your scores somewhere in between it, and you adjust it up accordingly. Okay. So you're never going to get a perfect first time you do it, but I think you can see from the contrast between 20 and 21, exactly the same critical factors, these things are exactly the same. It's just different circumstances led us to a different decision. And that's where I think the power of this is, is when you can start to put that together. Okay, if you if you looked at that, I usually knock them together on Excel, but we do actually have a little tool called Decision Wizard. It's on the SFS website and it's free for you to download. It takes you through those steps that I've just gone through. Okay? You do log in, so when you log in, you create an account and log in. The only reason for that is that your decision matrix if you create are personal and only you can go and see them, unless you want to share them to what we call the new library. And so if you put something in on, and I'll put this one up in the new library around early decisions on nitrogen, you can go into the library and you can look in the library and find someone else's example. It doesn't say who put it together, but you might get some ideas on things like uh, what are the critical factors I should be thinking about, what are the tip-over points, what scores do people give. So you can't pinch someone else's, but you can actually take some ideas from it and create your own from it. So that's on the, um, uh, on the SFS website. If you want to know more stuff about this, there are a couple of amateurs in a video on the SFS YouTube channel called Building a Decision Matrix, my wife and I. Um, we don't crop, we have um, livestock, and we've got about four or five of these that we use over the farm each year. That's for the last eight years now. We find them fantastic in making our decisions. Okay. We've refined them each year, and as we go through it, we adjust an number, and put too much emphasis on that. In hindsight, we've got to put this one in, we haven't included that one, drop that one out because it doesn't matter anymore. Okay. And so we've adjusted it up along the way. Um, okay, now, just to conclude on this bit, what I like about the decision matrix. First of all, it slows down your thinking. You know when I said that Daniel Cannon stuff? I reckon few of you guys in here will sit in you and drive home and make a decision on nitrogen. That, that's what we do. Bring up your agro. What's your agro? The agro goes, oh, I think you should do this. <clears throat> make a decision. Good. Having to create one of these takes about half an hour or an hour. I can tell you it's the best half hour out you'll spend. One of the key points that Wes had from Rabobank. He said, if you ever want to invest in decision making, now is the time to invest time and money. <coughs> okay? Here's a process that I'd suggest you could have a crack at if you didn't know where to start on that, which I think might help. So it slows down your thinking. Second one, it makes it transparent for others to contribute and follow. This matrix we've got on the right hand side was so much better than the one I sorted out just with John. John was in the car, driving up to the airport, I rang him on the phone, I tried to put one together. We then shot around to a few other people, other people contributed to it, it's a better matrix because of it. So if you want to get other people in your team, actually understand the decisions you're making, and be on the same page, this is the way to do it.
That was Cam Nicholson, Nikon Rook, at the SFS 2022 Results Morning. For more information, check out the description box or www.sfs.org.au. Don't forget to comment, like and share this podcast. I'm Michelle McClure. Thanks for listening.